0: It's Monday, February first. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today. It's Jason Moser. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. We've got a preview of Amazon's earnings. We are going to dip into the fool mailbag, but I'm going to start with something that happened yesterday. A quiet, snowy Sunday here in the greater metropolitan Washington D.C. area and it was uh, lovely. It was nice to, It's nice to just look outside and see the snow falling in a place where snow doesn't fall very often. And I was snapped back into reality at some point during the day when I looked at Twitter and saw the news reported by The Wall Street Journal and Reuters that last year, the CEOs of ExxonMobil and Chevron discussed the possibility of their two companies merging and I wasn't around in 1911 when Standard (laughs) Oil was broken up, but I've studied enough of my business history to know that, well, to inform, that was my first thought. when I was like, oh, are we getting the band back together? Like, are they going (laughs) to rename the company Standard Oil? I mean, what did you think when you first saw this news? Um,
1: Well, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was was rockefeller and standard oil um and times times certainly have changed since standard oil right i mean the world is slowly but surely evolving its energy policy and and it's it's clearly going Towards renewables, things like solar and wind, and, and, and batteries, and in and, uh, you know further away from fossil fuels. I mean that's no secret. Uh, now, I mean I think the timeline is such that it, it it's going to take a while to get there. I mean when you think about fueling the entire planet, like it's not just it's not just cars, right? I mean we're talking about um, all sorts of different all sorts of different uh, all sorts of different things that really need to be powered. And so to me. <laughs> I, I Actually, I could see a world where, where this does make sense. Um, and part of it is because this this industry is one where scale really, really counts. I mean, it, it, and furthermore, you have two businesses here that really aren't, uh, quote-unquote, lighting the world on fire either. I mean, you look at Exxon over the last five years, the shares are down about 40%. Chevron, I think, relatively flat over that same time period. And they, they have just become smaller companies, they are just not the behemoths that they used to be. Um, and, and so, to me, I mean, I feel like this probably would have been a little bit more uh, realistic had they done it or tried to do it a year ago. I'm not sure it would really pass muster in this current political environment. I think that the scrutiny would probably be a little bit too great, particularly as, as the Biden administration has really got fossil fuels in the crosshairs. Um, But I I mean, I I could see a world where this actually made sense.
0: You just went through the journey that my brain went through from the time I saw this (laughs) news yesterday till this morning, Um, and it's not to say that I've talked myself into it, but for some of the reasons you mentioned, it it doesn't seem like a non-starter, and I think it's a little telling that to this point, anyway. Neither company is commenting on these reports. Yeah. So uh, it, it, there's there's no indication that these are ongoing talks, but the fact that they're both keeping their mouths shut about this makes me think they're open to the possibility of of this happening in the future. And to your point, the resulting company if these two companies were to merge today, the resulting company $350 billion. I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that's a small company, I am saying, however, that's a lot smaller than it would have been a few years ago and a lot smaller than than some of the companies that are very much in the crosshairs of Uncle Sam and the regulators.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, part of that has to do with the current environment that we're in, of course. Um, I, I mean, Exxon and Chevron, I think both companies are guilty of at least not explicitly investing in the the future of energy to the to the degree that other companies out there are doing um, and I mean it's interesting when you think about the future of energy and the companies that are out there really trying to push that envelope, I mean, Tesla obviously is one that comes to mind, but you look at companies like Apple and Amazon, or Microsoft, for example, that are building out their own sorts of of uh, energy supply in the renewable space to help fuel their businesses. Um, so, I mean, I think you could argue that Exxon and Chevron really have been focused on fossil fuels, right? That's where they've been placing their chips for the past several decades, and it feels like that's probably the immediate future for them. Now, let's. Fast forward to a world where interest rates are considerably higher. Let's fast forward to a world where energy prices start to go up and investment in that uh, oil and natural gas space starts to make sense again. I mean, regulations can only limit that investment and that production so much, right? We still need fossil fuels to a degree. Um, I mean, those two companies together in a world of. Somewhat limited supply and higher prices. I mean, again, now you're now you start to see a little bit more of an edge there with two real behemoths, a lot of expertise in the space, and in a lot of resources at their disposal. I mean, that that could be that could be very difficult to compete against. And I mean, I, I you know maybe maybe it's something where uh the focus is less on the competition side of things and more just about that long term view of we're trying to steer ourselves away from fossil fuels. But but again I go back to yes we're doing that, but that is a that is a slow Process is going to take a lot of time. I mean, we, we we are going to rely on fossil fuels here for several several years to come, and and so yeah, you could see in the right environment where these two companies together could really rule the roost, and all of a sudden that three hundred fifty billion dollar market cap is probably inching closer towards five hundred billion or higher. Um, but yeah, again, it'll be interesting to see how
0: this plays out. Our email address is marketfulery at fool and an email from Eric Good in Culpeper, Virginia. Hi, guys. Hope all is well. Will you please discuss McCormick's results? <laughs> they look strong on my end to continue making this a long term holding. Uh, just to anchor to that last phrasing there, Jason, I can't imagine anyone looking at McCormick as anything other than a long term holding. And I say this as someone who doesn't own shares, but this is. I, you know, I promised myself I wasn't going to talk about GameStop today and I'm going to break that promise. I, 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 I feel like increasingly over the past 12 months, it's really come to a head uh, the past couple of weeks, um, the possibility, and in some cases, the probability of newer investors having their expectations completely out of whack. <laughs> and by that I'm referring to people asking questions like, "Hey, I'm thinking about buying this stock. Do you, Do you think it could be a ten bagger in the next three years?" Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, what are you talking about? That you ask that question like it's normal. That's not normal. That like readjust your expectations. So anyway, not not that I've gotten a little far afield of Eric's question, but I think, I think that's the right way to think not just about McCormick, but a lot of businesses, but particularly about McCormick because this is not a. This is not a flashy business, but this is an incredibly steady business. It is. It is, and I I
1: mean, to your point, I mean, I think there is a lot to be said for the current environment and the expectations that it's creating, and I think um, those those are misguided expectations that will be checked, and and I think. Sort of recalibrated here over the course of the coming years, and and it really just to me what we're going through right now is a real testament as to why we invest the way we invest here at the Fool. And so, I mean, to me, McCormick is just one of those perfect examples of not a business that it's going to double overnight. I mean, it's not one of these SaaS, digital, uh, edge, cloud plays that, that where you're you're looking for a ten bagger here in the next several years. I mean, it's just it's one of those businesses where you can. You can, you can put your investment dollars to work, you can feel good about knowing that this is a business that's run well, that holds a very strong competitive advantage, and over time, uh, over years, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a business that continues to compound. And in in regard to the quarter, I mean, yes, it was a strong quarter. I think in and, in and, and McCormick has is absolutely been capitalizing on this shift towards cooking more at home. And I think that's something that played out all throughout 2020 for the most part. It's going to be something that plays out to maybe a lesser extent in 2021. But they seem to believe management seems to believe there that that. That trend is going to stick. I mean, a lot of people, I think, have have realized that. Hey, maybe maybe this is something I can do. You know, I mean, there are ways to there are ways to to feed myself without having to necessarily have it delivered or go out to dinner every night. Um, and, and so, when you look at the results from the quarter, uh, sales were up four percent overall. Uh, earnings per share of seventy four cents in the fourth quarter versus seventy nine cents from a year ago. Clearly, they're dealing with some headwinds from COVID and the general economic environment, particularly when it comes to the flavor solution side of the business. Uh, the, the part of the business that focuses more on the big customers, restaurants and whatnot, because because restaurant traffic has been such uh, so hindered. Uh, but, but growth in the consumer segment has been strong, that was up 5%. And I tell you, the one thing that we've been talking about over the past several years since they made that big uh, RB Foods acquisition. Um, and that was $4 billion-plus deal, was... If they were able to integrate that acquisition and and and, uh, and and keep keep things going in the right direction, when would the next acquisition happen? And We didn't really hear a whole lot for a while, um, but then lo and behold, here the last couple, couple of months of 2020, um, they pulled a couple of fast ones on us. I mean, we know about the Cholula acquisition; they bought Cholula, and and I, I you know hats off to that. I, I think that's a good acquisition. It gives them another presence in that in that uh, hot sauce market, and Cholula is a is a very popular brand. Um, but another business that they acquired and I don't this probably slipped under a lot of people's radars a company called Fona and Fona essentially is is in the business of creating and producing flavors for for many of the largest food beverage and, and nutri- nutritional companies in the world and so this was a bit more of a play for their flavor solutions business but it gives them more capacity, more talent, it gives them more infrastructure to produce at a greater scale and continue to grow that footprint. I mean, McCormick is the market leader in this space uh regardless and and so these acquisitions about 1.5 billion dollars in acquisitions they made here over the past couple of months. These will be this is kind of that next we're going to watch them digest, no pun intended, these acquisitions over the next year or so. And, and, and assuming the integration goes well, I think we'll continue to see that growth chug along. Um, but, but as far as ex- expectations go, I mean, this is a dividend aristocrat. Uh, they raised their dividend again for the 35th consecutive year. Uh, shares have doubled over the past five years. Again, it's just kind of a sleepy pick. But, but again, as a market leader in the space and everybody's got to eat, Chris, and, and we like our food to taste good, this is a great way to play that
0: trend. You look at the acquisitions, and I think that, we, we've talked for years, regardless of the industry, acquisitions can be tough to pull off well. To me, if you're a dividend aristocrat, that I'm not saying it gets you a pass <laughs> on all acquisitions, but if you don't get to be a dividend aristocrat unless you have figured out how to be good at capital allocation. And I just feel like McCormick is one of those businesses, again, not to give them a pass, not to say they can't screw up an acquisition or overpay for one, but I think that you got to give dividend aristocrats a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the acquisitions that they're making, uh, because they've got that demonstrated history. Real quick before we move on, uh, you mentioned the flavor solutions part of the business. I think that, uh, we've talked about this before, that's the easy to overlook part of McCormick's business because yeah. anyone who's been to a grocery store and walked down the aisle, you know, it's pretty easy to see the consumer facing business. But I think that gets to why, at a time when so many people are cooking more at home over the past 10 months or so, that's why the stock really hasn't um, shot to the moon. It's up about 7% over the past year. But it's because that flavor, that you know, B2B part of their business has been pulled back. Is that something you look at as that can be the catalyst for shares of McCormick over the next, let's call it 12 to 18 months?
1: Um, I think it can be, yes. I mean, I think they're going to see uh, that flavor solution side of the business continue to pick back up as 2021 progresses. Now, I think they they feel like that is going to be relatively tempered recovery because the feeling is that the consumer side of the business will continue to perform based on uh, the trends over the past year. And I mean, that's really one of the beautiful parts of this business is it can win a couple of different ways here. and. Um, you know, it's it's not just restaurants that are really part of that flavor solutions business. I mean, when you go up and down the grocery store aisles, I mean, you see those meal kits, or you have uh, meal kits sent to you, or whatever. I mean, that's part of that that flavor solutions side of the business too. I mean, they 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 really do have a position in so many in so many different. Aspects in regard to the food service business. It's just really impressive. And uh, I mean, you know, to top it off, I mean, we talked about this move towards digital and this digital economy that's that's uh, that's developing here. Um, it, worth noting e commerce sales from McCormick for the quarter up 136%. I bet you most people wouldn't have even thought they had an e commerce business. But the fact of the matter is, they have an app that's pretty slick and they do have an e commerce business. And you know what? It seems like it's working. <laughs>
0: We've got more big companies reporting earnings this week including Alphabet, PayPal, Qualcomm, and after the closing bell on Tuesday, Amazon will be out with its fourth quarter report. Amazon is guiding for revenue in the range of 112 to 121 billion. I'm pretty sure that no matter what they report, the stock is going to be down Wednesday morning, just because that's that's how it went last year with their fourth quarter report, and this is a stock that has appreciated to a nice degree over the past 12 months. What are you going to be looking at in their report?
1: Yeah, I mean it is it is a stock that has done very well. Obviously, very happy shareholder here. Um, I always think it's interesting beyond the sales guidance that they set. When you look at the actual operating in- income guidance, the the, the the range there is always just it makes me chuckle because they're basically they're calling for a range between one billion dollars and four and a half billion dollars. So I mean, like it, it, there are a lot of different ways they could go from the profitability side, but that's that's never really been the point with Amazon anyway, and I don't think that's really going to be the point this time around. And for for me, my eyes immediately just every release, my eyes scroll past all the headlines, all of the all of the language in the release, and I go down to where the numbers are in, in the tables, and I look for how AWS, how the Amazon Web Services side of the business is performing, because to me that is i mean that that's that's the story here i mean we know how strong amazon's north american retail business we know is we know how strong their international retail business is, is becoming but, but when you look at how important Amazon Web Services is to the business itself, the overall business, it's pretty impressive. I mean, you think about fourth quarter last year, Amazon Web Services uh, sales revenue of, of $10 billion and they and recorded operating profit of $2.6 billion, so about 26% operating margin. The North American retails uh, side of the business, $53.7 billion. Yet operating profit of just one point nine billion dollars. That's a three and a half percent operating margin. So twenty six percent versus three and a half percent. I mean the numbers tell you the story there, and and for a company that chalked up four billion dollars in operating profit for the quarter, I mean you can then see that I mean Amazon Web Services is responsible for a considerable portion of that. Um, So it's not really it, it. I I'm not sure whether the stock goes up or down based on. The retail news, but I do think every quarter when we when we see Microsoft report, we see Alphabet report, we see Amazon report, and you know, we we see the progress all three businesses are making in their cloud services. I mean, for a long time, it really was Amazon's game, but but now we're seeing companies like Alphabet and Microsoft continue to pick up share, and so I just I wonder if a little pressure on that number for Amazon um wouldn't wouldn't cause them some problems at least in the near term i mean it's it's not to say it would, it would impair the business at all but but i mean i think when you look at amazon as as a whole company i mean a 1.6 trillion dollar market cap on about 350 billion dollars in sales Walmart is a four hundred billion dollar market cap on uh, five hundred and fifty billion dollars in sales. And Walmart, I think we've we've established, we've talked about it a lot over the past couple of years. Walmart doing a wonderful job, strong business, great track record. Um, it just goes to show you how important, really, uh, I think that Amazon Web Services side of the business is for Amazon.
0: Both Apple and Microsoft have jumped into the dividend paying pool. Who do you think is going to be the last one standing to not pay a dividend? Do you think Do you think Alphabet pays a dividend before Amazon? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I I think I think Alphabet would
1: pay a dividend before Amazon, and that's the only reason is I feel like I feel like I feel like Jeff Bezos would probably be able to hold out just a little bit longer and say, you know what, man, I've built this business. Uh, on reinvesting every penny I've got, and then some. Um, and, and, it, and it's it's obviously a very well-diversified business in regard to Alphabet. I mean, Alphabet still is really, I mean, it's an advertising plane. And they offer a bunch of different services, but they make their money via advertising. And, 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 and other bets, I mean, I, I don't know that they really, yeah, I, I don't think Alphabet merits the same reinvestment that Amazon does today, at least, but um, I, I mean I don't think I'd see either one of them paying a dividend anytime soon but I feel like Amazon's probably the last man standing
0: yeah I'm not holding my breath but I think <laughs> I, I, I think Bezos it's you know, <laughs> in the same way that Jim Sinegal at Costco is like they're gonna raise the price of the hot dog and soda over my dead body I, yeah. I feel like Bezos is kind of, it's like no 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 I, uh, there are other ways to invest this money
1: yeah it's anathema I just don't think he does it.
0: Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery, The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.